Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. After today's roller coaster action, Dow at one point down 784 points for rebounding to close off just 79 points. S&P lost 0.15%. Boy, it was much uglier at one point. And the Nasdaq actually advanced 0.42. And that thing had been in total breakdown mode at the opening. I would love to tell you that this rebound is for real and you should be buying stocks hand over fist. Buy, 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 buy. But even after today's recovery, people are still scared. That's really the operative term for this market. They're afraid that something is dreadfully wrong or else the stock market wouldn't be plummeting or trading so radically like this. When guest after guest and bank bank chief after bank chief and CEO after CEO tells us that the fundamentals are sound. The investors figure the sellers either must know something that they don't, or maybe the Federal Reserve is clueless as it prepares to raise interest rates again, which is even more frightening. You know, I'm, you always try to analogize to real life if you're really trying to explain things, trying to teach. So i got to tell you something. You know, my wife, Lisa, always tells me that I should never tell her to relax because she says she won't be agitated without good reason. You know something? I think that's how many investors really feel about the stock market right now. Don't tell me to relax. i got a good reason to be agitated. So you know what I'll do? I can't tell you to relax. I learned that from my wife. But I can give you the context you need to be a little more clear-headed and a little less scared if only to prevent you from doing anything you might regret later, which is the usual outcome of acting on your fears. First, you, you, you do have every right to be concerned. I'm not going to deny your feelings, so to speak. Tomorrow, we get an employment number that could show a very hot economy with real wage growth, the kind of number that makes the Fed feel like it does have no choice but to raise interest rates, which we know slows the economy. You know what? That's actually nothing new. In fact, at this point, it's almost dog bites man. But how about if man bites dog? In other words, what if there's no uptick in wage inflation? What if we don't have a fabulous hiring number? Well, that's not good either. A not-so-hot number will make the Fed seem clueless, as its chairman is already pretty solidly committed to a December rate hike. They know nothing! Given all the uncertainty in the world, many investors might say, holy cow, the Fed's nuts to raise. Instead of a one-and-wait, that's the strategy I've been advocating because I believe there will be a strong employment number tomorrow. This new crowd, this new conclave, they are thinking maybe it should be wait and one. Wait to see how things really play out before giving us another rate hike. At the same time, they may conclude that the Fed is tone deaf to what's happening in the real economy. The weakening home sales, the weakening auto sales, the weakening loan growth, the weakening rail car loads, the weakening electricity demand, the weakening construction market, the weakening high-end retail sales, and yes, the weakening stock market. And isn't that an awful lot of weakening to balance against one number, the expected increase in wages that come from nearly full employment? 
I'm not done. Almost every night we highlight companies or talk to the CEOs of companies that are labor saving, meaning what? That they let other people, they, let, uh, they, they give people the ability, CEOs the ability to fire, fire and then still make even better sales and therefore better gross margins and then better profits. Wall Street loves this kind of thing. Hey, listen, witness how Kroger, the giant supermarket chain, saw its stock surge today when management said they were spending to boost customer satisfaction and return visits. Believe me, later on. That means it will cost them less. Look at Costco, up huge as the same store sales came in much higher than expected, up 9.2% when the street was only looking for 5.4%. Now, there's two ways to look at these kinds of numbers. Either the consumer is spending too much, 9% Costco, in which case the Fed is spot on to tighten. Or maybe Costco is taking share thanks to its incredibly low prices, which tamps inflation. And maybe Kroger's giving outstanding personalized service. And therefore, there's no real risk for the Fed rate rise mill. Two sides to every story. Plus, hasn't the price of oil just come down nearly 33% in the past couple months? So don't you have to wonder whether we should be more concerned about deflation than inflation? Hey, have you checked the value of your home on Zillow lately? Do yourself a favor. Don't look. We have a man versus machine situation where labor shortage is causing inflation. Higher prices across the board. But these labor-saving machines are holding costs down by letting companies get by with fewer workers. It's an awfully awkward situation. The Fed is fighting four trends that it doesn't have any control over that are creating inflation. One, the president has cracked down on immigration. Fewer immigrants means fewer workers, which translates into higher wages. Two, we've got state-level minimum wages boosting, uh, let's just say the government is boosting inflation through wages that have to go higher. Three, there's a genuine lack of truckers and transportation is integral to our economy. So that's a major reason for all sorts of companies to raise prices, including a couple you're going to hear from tonight, in order to make their customers eat higher shipping costs. Four, the potential for escalating tariffs as the trade war heats up, which now seems inevitable after the recent arrest of the CFO of Huawei, one of the largest companies in China. More on that later. For now, let's just say I think it makes the odds of good trade deal most unlikely. Think about it. The Fed can't change immigration laws. The Fed can't lower the minimum wage. The Fed can't train more truck drivers. The Fed can't stop Trump from rising, raising the tariffs. So what can it do? Well, they can make it too expensive or too scary for businesses to hire more people. They can frighten you the way Fed Chief Jerome Powell did in early October, saying he might need to tighten four more times to get wages down. Where was the prudent data dependence? Where was the common sense that maybe just maybe simply just saying that kind of frightening thing will cause business spending to slow so you don't need to take a howitzer to a knife fight? Now, there's something else going on here. You got a group of investors who are deeply concerned by the fact that the markets are so out of whack with short term interest rates higher than long term rates. And many stocks in bear market mode. True, right? Especially the bank stocks. These money managers figure that something's very wrong and it's lurking, it's lurking, it's lurking. It's just around the corner. Some hidden credit crisis and the Fed is oblivious. As they see it, you don't get such astounding collapse in the bank stocks unless it can't be business as usual. But I don't know about this thesis. I think we rebounded hard today because so many stocks had already come down so dramatically. The bear. Witness the pinata that is, the pinata that is Facebook which actually rallied today despite getting a vicious downgrade this morning. How about Apple? Didn't that hold it in there okay coming back from its lows, even as it's the obvious target for the Chinese government if they want retribution, retribution for the rest of one of its top business people, bank stocks? We've already had a herd mentality going on here where these stocks are being left for dead. And frankly, the fundamentals do have some issues. Plus, nobody wants to own the financials when you get that inverted yield curve. But here's the bottom line. 
If you took a long-term approach, buying stocks into weakness today based on their intrinsic worth rather than their minute-to-minute value, you actually came out on top as the averages were back from their lows. Ordinarily, that would make me a lot more sanguine. However, there are two caveats. We don't know what the White House is planning on trade, and we don't know how the Fed will react to tomorrow's employment number. For today's lows to hold, at least one of these institutions needs to be rational and prudent. Who knows? Crazier things have happened. Kathy in Indiana. Kathy. Hey, Kramer. I am a three-time caller, club member, and you are currently coaching three generations of my family. We love you here in Indiana. Thank you. What's up? Okay, my question is about the S&P 500 Index Fund. I had received a pension payout from my dad in 1988 at age 22, which after a short time ended up in a S&P 500 fund where it has been ever since. Okay. Now, I have funded single-stock purchases from that fund over the years, but never traded, trimmed, or added to it. It has ridden all the ups and downs for decades, and it is my largest position because of the time it's had to work. Now, my son just initiated a Roth IRA just this month, and we were discussing how he should begin with an S&P 500 fund. And while we were talking about this, I began to wonder if you treat this S&P 500 position as you would a single stock, do you trade it, trim it, add to it? You add to it. Kathy, you have done it just right. I want to encourage you to continue to do it just right. You add to it, add to it, add to it. When you get to levels where you feel more confident, then you can buy an individual stock. That's why I like the IRA. But remember, that's for mad money. We believe in diversification, and the S&P Index Fund is still the best single diversification method ever invented. Let's go. Thank you for those kind words. Thank you for joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club, where I try to teach as best I can. Gregory in California. Gregory. Hey, Jim, another club member here. Big yes. fan of yours. You know, they say... A man's best friend is a dog. And if that's the case, and I believe it is, then you're an investor's best friend. You, well, thank you, you. You shoot straight. No, you got it. You shoot straight. You're positive and fun at the same time. It's no wonder your share and yourself has, have endured. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you. So I wanted to, ah, you're welcome. I wanted to ask you uh, that the market took a huge dive on Tuesday, and then it's got another one today. And though I know it recovered at the close, I keep just thinking about, well, what's going to happen tomorrow and next week? And when or if the year-end rally which everyone's talking about, will ever happen, or, you know, if it will happen. Or worse yet, is it going to be an even bigger crash? No, 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 no. I mean, I want to use crazy crash is a bear and stocks go down. I mean, look at the opportunities. I mean, we go out to see Twilio. I'm just picking that name. OK. And the stock just gets hammered. We know we had just come from the headquarters. It's absolutely terrific. We know the story. And then the stock just goes down 25 bucks. So I come out, I say buy it. Well, here we are. We're now up that same amount. We're looking for value in individual companies. And in the meantime, adding to S&P funds on big dips. No dip buying hasn't worked this year. It absolutely hasn't. But are we really investing for this year? What happens on Jam 1? We decide, oh, that was it. We're over. I say we put more money in. Okay, I get it. You're scared. I don't blame But, you know, I like the uh, FDR there. There's nothing to fear but fear itself, except for when it's down 700 Dow points. It's pretty fearful. All right, over the long haul, I think that we're going to get some decent opportunities. I mean, even a Facebook, the most hated and reviled stock on earth right now, was able to shake off a downgrade. Or a man today. On a day when volatility took the tape, volatility being covert for like, wow, I just lost a lot of money. Looking for recession-resistant companies that could be worth eyeing, I'm sitting down with the CEO of one of my absolute favorites, which is Yum Brands. And yes, I like their darn burritos, but it's the 
It's the kernel that pleases me. I think it could be worth considering. Then with trade tensions weighing on the market and for the arrest of a top executive at a Chinese tech company, Huawei, I'm going over how stakes, how high the stakes really could be. And Ollie's reported a pretty darn solid quarter on this. We put the stocks down 17% just today. I'll tell you. Well, why don't we sit down with Mark Butler, the CEO, figure out what's the story. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. On a day where the market really got pummeled based on fears of a new escalation in the trade war with China, but only came back when some coolness prevailed, you can ask yourself, what kinds of stocks held up throughout the session? How about the stocks of safe, recession-resistant companies with no business in the People's Republic? Take Yum Brands, the parent of KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut, which spun off its Chinese division as a separate company a little over two years ago. Now, I've been a gigantic fan of the story, and Yum just keeps delivering and delivering. That's one of the reasons why the stock was barely down, even when the averages were at their lowest ebb today, and then came back and actually finished up on more than 80 cents. On top of that, yesterday, management told a very compelling story at their analyst meeting, and we know business is good because the last quarter was excellent. The stock is still up 12% for the year, and I think it could have more upside. Now, yesterday we got a chance to sit down with Greg Creed, one of my favorite guys. He's the CEO of Yum. Take a look. Greg, why is it that when I look at you, I'm seeing red? Relevant, easy, and distinct. That's what characterizes great brands, and our job is to make all three of our global iconic brands red. How do we make them more relevant? How do we make them easier? And how do we make them more? All right. Well, tell me. Make, make, make this, which I think is very relevant. Yeah. Uh, bring it alive to me. Okay. Well, I think the, the most distinctive brand is probably KFC. Yes, with the new ad campaign that we all yeah. know. You know, kernels, buckets, right. red and white stripes, finger licking good. This is an incredibly distinct brand. I think we've made Pizza Hut much more relevant. $5 lineup, $7.99, you know, and delivery. I think all of those things are making this brand a lot more relevant. And Taco Bell is probably the epitome of relevance right. and distinctiveness. And, and cool. And cool, and very socially cool. Very yes. Weddings. Now, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. You, you mentioned that. Now, uh, I want people to understand something about this man. This has been one of the great stocks. I mean, you, they're doing everything right. You know, 461 million shares now down to 325 million yeah. shares in five years. A chart that is one of the finest ever. If you call up his debt, which is what all these documents are, though, what do you see? You see... Proud but dissatisfied. Talk to us because you spent a huge amount of time yeah. here, analysts. Meaning, talk about what you're like, Bill Belichick from the New England Patriots. Yeah. What you did wrong. Well, I, look, I think it's about. There's a lot to be proud of, right? Absolutely. We have these three global iconic brands. We have incredible scale. We have this global diversity. We're, we're proud of the brands. Mm-hmm. We're dissatisfied because we can get more growth. 
I think we're dissatisfied because not every brand is purely great at red. Right. Uh, right. And I think right. we can make some improvements. So I think you've got to be honest. As a CEO, you've got to be, what is it? Define reality and offer hope. Okay. And uh, we still think that the best days of Yum are ahead of us. Okay. Now, you were, did fall behind in digital to Domino's, but you're making a quick catch-up. Oh, yeah. With the quick order purchase that we announced yesterday, right. we now own that e-commerce engine. It's going to drive between 2 and $3 billion worth of work. We've bought it in-house. We've got 75 incredibly talented people now joining Yum. Uh, we think we can unleash that power. And uh, we can make, look, I think that it's fair to say the Pizza Hut is as easy to access as our competitors. we just got to make it more distinct. How many kiosks versus some of the big names that we know of kiosks? Well, we're rolling kiosks out all the Taco Bell. So by the end of next year, Taco Bell in the U.S., will, every restaurant will have kiosks. We're going to put 5,000 kiosks into a KFC. So you'll see that. And then the big thing is delivery. In the last 12 months, we added 10,000 stores that, to, our delivery, to our delivery numbers. Greg, I was confused because one, I'm, we've been huge backers of Grubhub yeah. ever since it came public. Right. You got man on the board and everything. Yeah. But this new acquisition sounds like it's antithetical to Grubhub. No, no, no. Grubhub is all about delivery. The okay. quick, quick order is all about an e-commerce platform. So it's technology. We bought technology. Okay, that's yeah. important because yeah. there was uh, there were some people were saying they're walking away from Grubhub. No, said, no they're like completely. No. Lo- they love Grubhub. We love our Grubhub relationship. Okay, we think fantastic. it's great for both Grubhub and it's great for, for Yum and our brands. Now there are a lot of people who. When I mention Yum, they say, yeah, you're not that big. You're the world's largest restaurant company. Why is it that people don't think of you as that? Well, I think because the company name and the brand names are different, right? So we have 46,000 global restaurants. We're opening seven restaurants a day around the world. No one has that footprint, and no one is opening that number of restaurants. But, you know, I was surprised because you put out numbers, 2,900 uh, restaurants, yep. but it's 1,700 nets. So Correct. what are you pruning? Well, no, the 1,200 enables us to really clean up the estate. So we can relocate, we can change. So, but 1,700 is a a high watermark. We've traditionally done about 1,200 net new units a year. Now we're doing 1,700, 4% uh, growth just through net new units. I thought it was interesting is that particularly overseas, you can't just, I can't just call you and say I want a franchise. I mean, there are really high standards, and therefore there's some really big companies that are involved. Yeah, we've got 2,000 franchisees globally, uh, some very big names. Right. And, and you're right, we look for three, we look for what we call the three C's, capability, commitment, and capital. That's what we want from great franchisees. Now, the, the uh, I know, because I, I, one time they've been trying to buy these, and they don't want a guy with one, so I open my own restaurants, right. but I really want to own one of yours. Yeah. You're making big money, and one of the reasons I want to own it is because when the NFL comes on, I, look, we're all addicted to the NFL. True. NFL. Greg, we can't, your ads, I mean, I can sing the Colonel's song, and now I know he's a person. Yeah. Well, sport, and NFL in particular, but all sport and live sport is great for all three of our brands. Obviously, being the NFL sponsor with Pizza Hut is fantastic. Right. But that doesn't mean that KFC and Taco Bell don't take advantage of all live sport as well. Okay, what do you do with millennials to say, wait a second, this has so many more ingredients than Chipotle. You know, we've been taught that Chipotle, yeah. we want to have five ingredients. This, uh, this is fried. What do we tell the millennials who are always looking their best and feeling their best and making me sick? The key is we listen and respond to the voice of the customer. They want, you know, so we've got rid of artificial colors, artificial flavors, trans fats, and sodium. But the other thing, Jim, is a brand's got to be what a brand stands for. And you can't be everything to everybody. If you think about it, what's the biggest selling item in fast food? Hamburgers. Right. Our three brands don't sell hamburgers because that's not the business we're in. We're in the business selling the best pizzas, the best chicken, and the best Mexican in the world. Did you ever think that 
that Yum, the one I thought was an income play, right. would be faster growing than, than Yum China. Did you yeah. ever think that in a million years? I, I probably didn't, but you know what I'm excited about is I think when Yum China was a part of us, the rest of the business just sat there in awe and watched Yum China. We, we, we didn't care. I think when we're spinning it off, really right. made the rest of us dig deep and run our business with, with more growth aspirations, and we've delivered on those aspirations, which is fantastic. All right, we did have the, the privilege of interviewing a terrific guy who came and made Yum, I think he was the first guy called the Bluminati, who did go to right. Chipotle, Brian yeah. Dugo. He's a terrific guy, but you have a deep bench, not worried? No, not, we had four, of the five brand presenters today at Investor Day, right. four of them did not present two years ago. So we've got this incredible bench, and I think everyone today might... I was so proud of my team today. And people were saying, yeah, I didn't see those people in the past. So the depth of bench at Yum is unprecedented. Well, you've just got a great company. You know, you, I've been following you all the time and from your predecessor. And it's just a great company and a great stock. That's Greg Creed, CEO of Yum Brands. Look, I've got like one-eighth of this, but it's accessible. You must read this before you buy the stock. But you should buy the stock. Man Bunny's back at the break. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com slash apps. While we rebounded hard this afternoon, we still have to make sense of this morning shellacking, where the averages got absolutely crushed. It was a real clock cleaning. So let me put it in context. You need to remember that this White House doesn't have a China policy. It has two China policies. There are two camps, the trade warriors who want to do business with the People's Republic on our terms and the cold warriors who don't care about business so long as they stop the rise of China as a global superpower. Last night, the cold warriors had a huge win when Canada arrested the CFO of Huawei, a massive Chinese telco company with $100 billion in sales. Let's go over the stakes here because this tension between the trade warriors and the cold warriors was integral to this morning's sell-off. The trade warriors are led by Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic advisor, and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. They want to sell the Chinese more American-made goods, including grains, hey, farmers vote, planes, because Boeing is a huge employer, and automobiles, because the Rust Belt got Donald Trump elected president. In the end, the trade warriors simply want China to play by the rules so that we can do business with them on a more even level playing field. Then there's the cold warriors, led by Peter Navarro, the president's director of trade and industrial policy, along with Vice President Pence and Robert Lighthizer, the head negotiator for these round of talks with China. Now, these guys want to maintain America's place as the world's sole superpower. They believe some pain needs to be taken, even if it hurts corporate profits, to prevent China from challenging the U.S. hegemony. The coal warriors want to starve the Chinese of their export dollars because they feel that we're basically financing the PRC's rise to power. At the G20 meeting in Argentina last week, the coal warriors looked like they'd lost when President Trump granted China a stay of tariff execution. Tariffs are supposed to go from 10 to 25 percent come January, but he gave them an extra two months. This also happens to give American companies more time to move their manufacturing, their sourcing from China anywhere else on Earth. For a moment, the trade warriors seem to have the upper hand. 
but in an amazing day, stunning, truly. There was something kind of like out of 24. Remember Jack Bauer? Our president sat down with his buddy pal friend, President Xi, to work out some kind of cooperative framework on trade at almost the exact same moment when law enforcement was doing something incredibly damaging to any kind of deal. The authorities in in Canada arrested Wang Zumeng, the chief financial officer of, of Huawei, who also happens to be the daughter of the company's founder. Throwing a few explosions, they could have easily been, uh, say, a subplot in uh, 24, say, maybe uh, season five or six. Mom was apprehended on Saturday, although we only found out about it last night. Quizzical, isn't it? The charge? Selling American technology to Iran in violation of international sanctions. That's serious stuff. You have to believe that Huawei's behavior was incredibly brazen, because otherwise you've got to ask yourself, why the heck would Canada be doing our bidding here. I mean, come on, this isn't some cartel assassination where Mexico is happy to extradite its criminals to the United States. It's business, for heaven's sake. And the Canadians don't even have a dog in the hunt. But regardless of Mung's guilt or innocence, this was a huge derail for the trade warriors in the White House. Was our arrest a sign that we mean business? Was it a coincidence? Who knows? But we do know that, like ZTEs or ran violations before this, this kind of thing gives the hardliners a lot of ammunition because it illustrates that trade with China is about a lot more than making money. Maybe it's trading with the enemy. To say this was an escalation would be one of the biggest understatements of the year. To say that it could wreck any further negotiations seems reasonable. No matter what, it's a gigantic win for the Cold Warriors in the White House. To me, that means any tech company that does a huge amount of business in China, including Apple, or Micron, or Intel, or Skyworks, or Qualcomm, or Broadcom, is worth a little less today than it was yesterday. But in the strangest development of all, perhaps these stocks got hammered at the beginning of trading and then came roaring back. And then after the close, after the bell, Broadcom reported a huge number, kept prowling, and gave you a monster, monster increase in dividend. Hawk Tan, thinking of you. He's the CEO. Until we know more, we have to figure there could be more downgrades ahead, more pain to come in these tech stocks, unless the CFO is allowed to return to China or at least release our own recognizance. And even then, we're in seriously uncharted waters here. Uh... I have to tell you, cautions warranted, at least on the Chinese-related tech stocks, until we know more. Trudy in Illinois, Trudy. Hi, Jim. Watch your program every day. I love it. Thank you, uh, Trudy. I wanted to ask you, in this volatile market, I panicked and I sold three-quarters of my Alibaba at a loss. Should I be a buyer again, long-term no. holding? No, Alibaba is not what you need right here. Uh, the Chinese-American relations have taken another step down. We just don't want to be involved in those stocks. There's so many stocks that we like here that are down so badly. We don't need the traffic in Alibaba. I'll throw in, I'll give you another, I'll give you my two cents on it. Stay away from 10 cents. Let's go to Tom in Wisconsin, please, Tom. Booyah, James. Booyah, Tom. Jim, with the sell-off of financials, Goldman Sachs has had a significant drop from its all-time high. I'd like to buy some from my granddaughter Maddie for Christmas, so do you think this is a good entry? Yes, for uh, you know, and so does Warren Buffett. He's been buying it down here. The stock is now below tangible book value. I believe that while the Malaysian issue is not a 10% of teapot, that this will be resolved and resolved favorably to what the press indicates. I'll have more on that later. My Chapel Trust is buying it right here. You can follow by joining the ActionLawyersPlus.com club. Al in Missouri. Al. Hey, Jim. I watch your Mad Dash every morning. Thank you. Uh, do you think uh, Tesla is going to dash all the way past 400 due to uh, EV euphoria and the market meltdown recently? Tesla is a winner if China is serious about lowering trade barriers. 
but I don't think they're serious about anything. And if you really like Tesla, then I got to tell you, you have to like the car and the stock. It's a cold stock. I'm not there. I like Cloud Kings that are tra- traded big valuations. I like Amazon or big valuation, but I'm not a Tesla guy. Okay, there are two states on China in the White House, and the stakes are high and huge and integral to today's brutal morning action, but not the recovery, which is, I think, based on the idea that maybe things are going to turn out just right with the employment number. Now, much more made money ahead. What can the latest earnings out of Ollie's bargain, one of our big winners, tell us about the China trade and the state of the U.S. consumer? I'm talking with the CEO. Then after a brutal day on the average, at least in the morning, and then come back, I'm eyeing one company that manages to stay in the green in a miraculous way. I've got the CEO of U.S. Concrete. See if it can continue the upward movement. And I know you've got questions, and I'm taking them rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. a lot of the NASDAQ made an incredible turnaround today from the bottom, but you know what stock didn't? Ollie's bargain outlet holdings. I mean, what the heck is happening here? A week ago, this off-price retail chain that I have favored for a long time had one of the strongest stocks around. Then on Monday night, Ollie's reported it was basically a solid quarter. Okay, not perfect, but everything's perfect. What happens? Well, Tuesday, the stock gets smashed down 5%. Then today, it plummets 17%. No real news. It's not like Ollie's has a ton of exposure to trade with China. The proximate cost for today's sell-off didn't really impact them. This company is a closeout retailer. They mostly buy excess inventory from department stores at bargain basement prices, then sell it to you at a decent markup. But you still get a bargain. It's not like the quarter was bad. Ollie's delivered a modest top and bottom line beat, but much better than expected same store sales. You know that's the key metric, up 4.6. Wall Street was only looking for three. The one problem, okay, management's full-year guidance was a tad light. I get it. The guidance is important. But this stock has now plunged from 91 to less than 72 in a matter of days. It's not like the forecast was that cautious. What's going on here? Let's take a closer look with Mark Butler, the chairman, uh, president, and CEO of Ollie's Bargain Outlet Holdings. Again, a stock I have favored since it came public. Get a better sense of where the of what happened in the quarter and maybe where the stock is headed. Mr. Butler, welcome back to Mid Money. Hey, Jim. Good to see you, Mark. Have Great a seat. Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to posit something to you that I've been thinking about. If I am a retailer worried about tariffs, I might actually overorder and have too much inventory and then have to offload it to Otley's. My thinking is you may be one of the few retailers that actually benefits from the scare of tariffs. You're, you're absolutely correct. We, you know, anytime there's a disruption, and certainly this noise with the tariffs, is, it has to be, a, it is huh. a disruption. We have the ability to be able to benefit from it. There's going to be a lot of canceled orders. There are going to be a lot of changed orders. There's going to be scurrying. Everybody was trying to get their product in before January 1st. Now it's a 90-day delay. So anytime there's any kind of disruption, we have the ability to be able to get the canceled orders, get the price changes, get the product changes. Uh, I'm, I'm bullish on it. And I would think that Ollie's, uh, when I see the guys who are going under all the different trouble in the malls, this has to be one of the greatest moments for you to get supply. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's one quarter. Oh, absolutely not. Our business, simply put, has never been better. Our pipeline is full. The phone keeps ringing. Right. Uh, you know, and right now, Jim, we are just set up. We, we, we really, and we came on your show, and I, I told everybody we were on the toy business for right. the Toys R Us. Right. We are locked. We are loaded. We sold a lot of toys. We're going to sell a lot of toys. We couldn't be happier. I think that people uh, might think, well, hold on, yes, 300 stores, how many more that you can use? And that you just got your first store in Texas. Yeah, we just opened our first store in Texas. Big and state. We, yeah, big state. <laughs> and we just announced 
that we uh, are starting construction on our new and our third distribution center uh, in Texas. And uh, that'll be uh, uh, operational in 2000, early 2020. Okay. And that sets us up to be, get, be able to get the good stuff cheap to the stores that we hope to open in Texas. Well, I mean, my questions are, I'm asking this because, you know, those are skewed because I kept trying to figure out, well, what am I missing something? I wanted to hear that. Then I said, okay, well, maybe the gross margin was uh, you actually have one of these higher supply chain costs that others have had. Can you quantify that for us? Uh, and whether that can ever go away or is this just the same problem with the trucks and not being able to get the stuff to where it has to go? It's, it's the same problem that every retailer in America is facing. We're no different than that because we get our trucks. We have to move our product. Uh, what we did say is that we expect it to neutralize right. in the next, because we're up against the same numbers that we paid right. high prices for a year ago. So we expect it to moderate. I think we did a great job in being able to buy great, great mm-hmm. items at great, great prices. And in some situations, we were able to get a little bit more margin on the merchandise to help offset Definitely the saw supply that. chain. Okay, so then I said, all right, Ollie's Army went from 9.8 million to 8.8 million. Maybe there's something wrong there. No, nah, simply a purge, just a matter of timing. And it's just that we have a eight purge. point purge. So we have 8.8 million active of members within 15 months they've been in our store and it's just simply a matter of timing we delete them from the system as active and that's the number so that wasn't the first time you do that that's just an annual thing and if we go back quarter to quarter every year at the same time we do the same Okay, then I saw 37 new stores, but you closed some. Maybe that's what they don't like? Yeah, well, there was leasing opportunities. Um, You know, I think what they should focus on is that we took over 18 Toys R Us sites. We bought 12, and we bought six leases, all at bankruptcy court. We went and we raised our hand. Uh, We're really excited about them. We have four stores that have opened that were former Toys R Us sites. We're going to open up the other uh, 16 or uh, 12 uh, stores next year. And uh, we're really excited about the prospects. Let's say a major retailer, too, actually, uh, after Christmas, the vendors uh, won't give them money uh, and the factors won't give them money. Uh, You're someone they call? Yeah, absolutely. Most of our product comes direct from manufacturers. Right. So perhaps a retailer might be struggling. Right. Manufacturers hung with product, That's package right. changes. Then they'll call us because we have the cash, we have the ability to take it. And not only that, we have the ability to sell it. Now, I want people to know that you've been at this, what, for 35 years? 36. So it's not like you just came up with this. Yeah. And that also uh, a 1% to 2% comp is equal to 20% bottom line. And you're actually doing better than that. Yeah, we are. Look, we, we, we absolutely have a great quarter. I couldn't okay. be more proud of the team. And uh, the momentum continues. I feel good about where we are. I said on the call, I feel great about the momentum that we continue to have going into the fourth quarter. Need some good weather. Looks like it's coming. Right. We got a lot of toys. We got a lot of gifts. Our parking, you know, the parking lots are packed. You we're, must we're be already tired. the largest uh, hard goods off price. Uh, I, I believe we are, and certainly our phone keeps ringing because, uh, you know, everybody has something that they need to turn into cash. Wow. I don't know. Look, I, answered, I gave every single negative that I heard, and you answered every, you rebutted every one. That's Mark Butler. He's Ollie's Bargain Outlet Holdings Chairman, President, and CEO. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, I, I, look, I, I can't find an objection to not buy. We've been waiting and waiting. We got it. Thanks. This is the chance. Right. Thank you so much. You. Stick with Kramer. It's time. 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 It's time.
And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy. Time for the lightning round. Chris, we're start with Dean in Washington. Dean. Hey, Jim. How you doing? Just wanted to say, love your show. Love oh, your you, market insight. I think you're awesome. Not bad. Thank you very much. You should tell my wife she didn't even check in with me today. I keep checking. She's not there. My question for you, sir, is uh, um, for the uh, the financial sector right now. I'm a little concerned about the flattening of the yield curve and the negative impact this may have on earnings moving forward. Um, I currently have exposure to the financial sector through the XLF. Okay. And uh, in addition, I also currently hold long positions in uh, – J.P. Morgan, CFG, which is Citizens, and okay. Sweet Bank. Well, let's, uh, take, let's take J.P.F. because we heard from Jamie Dimon today, so I feel most confident about that. My Chapel Trust owns it. You know, if I hadn't mentioned it, mentioned it and it was therefore frozen, we would have picked some up today after listening to them. Now, I know this stock is going to go up right now, but I got a feeling, I mean, that Warren Buffett's in there buying the bank stocks, handed over fist. He's taking a long-term view. You are, I am, that's right, Jason in New York. Jason. Hey, what's happening, Jim? I don't know, man. I'm going to hit the longshoreman tonight for cocktail. How about you? What are you up to? Beautiful. Just hanging out with my dog. About to have dinner. Nice. What do you got there? <laughs> so the stock I'm wondering about is PRA Health. It was having a nice little breakout before it got Yeah, it done. is. And I like the contract research organizations. But, you know, I've, I'll come on. I just got started here. Will you give me a break? But the one I like, uh, no, I like yours. I like yours. Uh I like Norm For- uh, Foster's company. Uh, oh, geez. Come on. What is the company? Does me as uh, the 1-800-MICE. What is that one, Regina? We like that one so bad. The rat company. That's great. Well, we'll have to come back. I'm having a senior moment. I'm entitled to that after a day like today. Let's take another one. Let's go to Chad in New York. Chad. Hey, Jim. Uh, big Brooklyn Booyah for you and Fly Eagle Fly. Brooklyn Booyah. I'm right back at you. Well, Jim, uh, I got the stock I want to have your opinion on. Uh, it's Funko. Yeah, we Nash- talked to him. I thought it was an interesting situation. But you know what? There, there's so many great blue chip stocks that are down that I think we ought to stick with Charles River Labs. Bingo. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. The market today was stomach-churning. But you can never be blind to opportunities. You know what actually roared higher in the face of it all? Probably the last thing you'd expect. A company called U.S. Concrete. It makes uh, concrete with a stock that's been a total house of pain all year. First, it became obvious we weren't going to get an infrastructure bill, something I told you all along. Then we started worrying about a slowing economy, and this is not the kind of stock that works in a slowdown. Concrete's really about as cyclical as it can get, yet the stock's rebounding dramatically here. Why? I don't know. I pondered a lot of thoughts, and then I said, you know, maybe buyers believe all the bad news is baked in at this point for U.S. Concrete, and it's now cheap on next year's earnings estimates. And it was also brought down by Bad weather. Then again, if we do get a slowdown and the company reports a series of shortfalls, it may not turn out to be so cheap after all. Still, the most recent strength here is a real conundrum, and it deserves a closer look, which is why we checked in with Bill Sandbrook, the chairman and CEO of U.S. Concrete, last night to get a better sense of what's happening here, how come the weather hurt them so much, and whether there is light at the end of the tunnel. Take a look. Bill, it's been a tough year for shareholders. I know the weather has been miserable 
But what's the silver lining here? Why should people stick with the stock knowing that, geez, they may not want an investment that's so weather dependent? Now, that's a very good question, and you're exactly right. This year was awful. February was the wettest February in in Dallas history. September was the wettest uh, month in Dallas history. October, the wettest in Dallas history. It's the wettest year in in Texas, and we are dependent on weather. There's no question about that. The silver lining, though, is when the sun is shining everywhere, we're setting record volume days that this company has never achieved. And remember, our volume is, is, is only deferred in weather impacted right. time. It's, not, it's, it's delayed, it's, it's not lost, so it goes into future quarters. But it, it makes us worried because while I know that 609 million of your debt is senior unsecured, long dated, right. Right. Um, you have $730 million in debt. Mm-hmm. I begin to think, well, geez, what happens if it, what happens if it just keeps raining? Well, well, first of all, it's not going to just keep raining. Okay. The last two years have been abnormally wet. Right. But we've done stuff in the portfolio as well. We've, we're more aggregate heavy now. We bought Polaris materials right. a year ago to insulate us, to get other outlets and other earnings avenues, more consistent earnings stream for, for our shareholders. And we're going to continue moving a little bit away from concrete and more and more into aggregates. And they get a lot higher multiple as well for those, those stocks heavy into aggregates. Right, absolutely. And we've been uh, champions of, uh, of Martin Marietta materials. Materials right. and we like Vulcan. But the one thing that we're uh, conscious of is that you also have uh, this infrastructure component mm-hmm. that we were honestly, right. candidly sure. believing that Congress would get together to sure. do something. You have some charts in your data which shows that public construction numbers, percentage of GDP, pretty awful. Well, they, they are low on a historic basis, yeah. for sure. But ARTBA, the American Road Builder and Transportation right. Association, the numbers that have just come out for October, I believe, it's up 15.8% this year, believe it or not. And states are taking things in their own hands. There's 29 states now since, since 2013 that raised their gas taxes. SB1 survived in California. Right. Prop 6 was defeated, where people actually get to vote for higher taxes. If they have a direct line of sight to the use for improved infrastructure, they support that, which still gives me optimism that the next Congress, even maybe even a little bit more friendly to, to, to spending money with a Democratic House, that we will have something in the next two years. Okay, a lot of people said to me, Jim, uh, how do you play Amazon, mm-hmm. the headquarters? And I said, well, look, if it weren't for the darn weather and the fact that weather plays such a big role, I would think that U.S. concrete is a likely candidate to get this because you do do a lot of headquarters. We do a lot of headquarters building. It's an excellent point. Amazon headquarters coming here to Long Island City and to Crystal City, Virginia, is right in the sweet spot of two of our most densely populated areas where we supply concrete. But that doesn't talk about winning share, because I want to presume you do win more than uh, each time. It seems like you're picking up share in in the communities that you're in. We pick up share in in high volume, very difficult to perform um, projects in highly densely urban populated areas. And we've bought a lot of companies to to make sure that there's only a a small number of us that can even do those projects. In fact, you know, talking about next year and why we're optimistic, we have over 70 projects right now in our backlog, not including anything from the Amazon headquarters that are actually over 20,000 yards large. 20,000 yards and above, over 70 projects in our backlog right now. Give me just read the top couple there. Oh, top couple here. It would be Google in... um, uh, let's see, Samson. I don't have my glasses on, but the Google Bayview right. campus, the NVIDIA, uh, the Facebook. NVIDIA. 
All right. I mean, There's the LaGuardia Airport you still, still get, going on. You, you, get, get, you win the big ones. We win the big ones. How about the, I know that some, I, I pass over some beautiful bridges that you were involved in New York. Are there any more big bridges? Because they are really concrete heavy. Well, uh, hopefully they're going to be tunnels. We need right. a tunnel under the Hudson River. They're concrete heavy as well. We need the Gateway Project to come to link Newark and New York City. That will be a tremendous project. But yeah, we did the Gothels Bridge, the, the, the uh, uh, Tappan Zee Bridge, the... Oakland Bay Bridge. We're we're bigging the bridges, but airports as well. We have the the new uh, the new terminal at Newark, for instance. Right, and we right, have JFK yours. on the horizon as well. Now, uh, you used an interesting metric, yards per man hour, as a better way to look at how consistent you're doing because the weather seems to have screwed up a lot of people's numbers. Sure, well, yards per man hour is a measure of efficiency of right. how well we utilize our labor because labor has somewhat become a fixed cost for us now right. because. There's a lot of competition for drivers. So if it's raining, you just can't send them home and not pay them. They'll find another concrete producer to go work for. So labor, to, to some extent, is fixed. So the efficient use of labor now, especially in the highly unionized markets where labor is very expensive. Right. And we have to make sure it's priced in our product appropriately. Well, the last thing I wanted to ask you was about drivers. In, in one of your conference calls, you did say, look, we know that well, a lot of analysts are concerned that there just aren't enough drivers. Can you tell right. me, one, why there aren't enough drivers? And two, while well, you're confident that you can get them. Right. Well, I, I think there's that young people today aren't enamored by it. just sitting behind a they truck and driving. Do but it. it's not just drivers. It's it's any trade. It's very difficult. But I am encouraged that the labor participation rate is creeping up now right. as wages are increasing. So maybe we'll get some more people. But we have to put more resources into it. We have to. We're, we we're in a second chance program with prisons. Oh, you are good. Absolutely. I want to ask you that for sure. Uh, we partner with trade schools. We do everything possible to get qualified drivers into the seats. Okay, well, I am confident that if the weather weren't so darn bad, it would be a different conversation <laughs> entirely. That's Bill Sandbrook. He's the U.S. Concrete President CEO. You heard what he said about Amazon. I'm watching that one closely. Mad Money's back after the break. Go Army. Be Navy. <laughs> Look, I know there's a lot of craziness out there. I know people think that something's lurking. Let me tell you what I think's not lurking. I don't think a recession is lurking. Uh, look, I'm not as sanguine as others because I see so many things going wrong. But it's not about a recession. It's just about an uncertain time and stocks that are up a great deal that have now come down a lot. And we're just going to pick our spots and pick up the great ones. Hey, by the way, you know, I committed to S&P funds today for my kids. That was a good thing to do. Like I say, there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.